Good morning. This coming Thursday, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a drive-in service at the Montgomery County Coliseum. It's been too long since I've gotten to see you while I'm preaching. It's been too long since you've gotten to see one another worship together. And so this is a safe way in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic as cases continue to surge and the death rates continue to rise, that we can be together and we can celebrate the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll come four o'clock at the Montgomery County Coliseum, and I hope that you'll invite a friend. I know that some of you sing louder in your cars uh, than you do in church on Sunday mornings. And so this is an opportunity for you to sing with no shame, uh, except maybe to hurt the ears of the people in the car with you, but to sing loudly the songs of Christmas as we celebrate that God, our Savior, has come to us in the form of a baby born of Mary and Joseph. So we're going to sing some Christmas carols. Uh, we're going to read some scripture. We're going to hear a sermon and uh, we're going to sing Silent Night together, as is our Christmas tradition. And we're going to do that together uh, as much as we can, even celebrate separated by uh, car windows. Um, but you'll be able to drive in. Uh, you'll be able to tune your radio to a station that we will tell you. And you'll be able to hear through your car speakers uh, what, what we're doing and what we're playing. And you'll be able to join in with us. So I hope that you'll come. Uh, if not, we'll have something available online uh, for you to participate in and, and acknowledge Christmas in that way. But I hope that this will be a chance, even for those of our congregation who have not been able to join us in person in the sanctuary since March, to come and to see other members of the church and be near them as we worship our Lord and as we make, uh, make celebration and as we revere Him. Uh, for being born to Mary and Joseph there in Bethlehem. So I hope you'll join us, uh, and I hope that you'll invite a friend. Uh, there is no lower pressure way uh, than on Christmas Eve uh, to invite somebody to come and to worship with us and to, um, to engage in uh, what we'll be doing there. So I hope that you'll invite a friend. I hope that you'll come. And I hope that you'll make it a priority as a part of your Christmas celebration to take some time to really focus in on Jesus, to focus in on what he means for us, and to focus in on what a gift he is to the church and to the whole world. Merry Christmas, and I look forward to seeing you on Thursday at 4 o'clock at the Montgomery County Coliseum.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, for it is you who have brought us out of darkness and into marvelous light, as you who have instilled hope in us that cannot be satisfied except in you. So we pray, O Lord, that today, by your word, we might learn to trust you. We might learn to trust your character and your promises that you will come to save us. We pray, O Lord, that this would be your truth written on our hearts as your church today. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel, everything begins to go right for King David. He was anointed to be the the ruler, the king of Israel a long time before, but there's been ongoing tension between him and Saul, who is the active king of Israel. David has had several opportunities to kill Saul that he has not availed himself of. And now everything is finally going right. Saul has died. David has been installed not only as the king over Judah, but over all 12 tribes of Israel. And they've brought the ark up to Jerusalem. David is settling into his nice house of cedar, and everything is right. And this is what happens. Hear this word. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now. I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, in a tabernacle. Whatever, wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. The Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings." But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne is established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Psalms, Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4 and 19 through 26. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. And then continuing in verse 19. Then you spoke in a vision to your faithful one and said, I have set the crown on one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him. My hand shall always remain with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Finally, we'll read this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. I invite you to hear this word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the, Holy, the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This too is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you have been praying every day since mid-March that this pandemic would go away. Some of you have been praying every day that the income you've lost would be restored. Some of you have been praying that the people who you love who are sick would be restored to health. And some of you feel guilty that you haven't been praying enough. And you wonder maybe if you had, if things would have gone differently. 
Students get to, didn't get to have prom and graduation. We've missed sports seasons and the dreams that accompany that. All of our world continues to be out of sorts. Even the holidays have been a mess. What do we do with unanswered prayers? With unmet expectations, with dreams deferred or denied or left unrealized? Last week we looked at that basic question from Mary's perspective. How whatever her dreams were, whatever was going well for her, was put in jeopardy when she was looked upon with favor by the Lord and how her response of faith made it possible for the rest of the world to see God more clearly. This week we get to look at David a little bit more closely and consider how he might get it backwards and how we, like him, are inclined to do the same. David looks at all of the things that God has given him, of all of the blessings that God has showered upon him, pulling him up from a pasture where he was the shepherd of his father's sheep, to the king of all of Israel. And he looks at his beautiful house made of cedar. We might call it a palace. And he says, I'm I'm living in a house of cedar and God's staying in a tent. Something's not right about this. I need to do something about this. We need to build God a temple. After years of struggling with Saul, after years of being anointed king but not being realized in his life, David finally has everything that he's been waiting for, and he wants to bless the Lord as king of the 12 tribes of Israel to build the Lord a house. They've just paraded the ark into Jerusalem. David got in trouble for dancing too extravagantly in his linen ephod. And as he looks around, he says, we need a place to put the ark. We need a place for God to live here. And Nathan, who is his friend and a prophet, looks at David and all of the blessings God has bestowed upon David, and he says, the Lord is with you. Do what's in your heart. And Nathan goes home, and he lies down to sleep. And in the middle of the night, the Lord comes and says, I'm not so sure about that. Would you build me a house to dwell in? Tell David, I've never had a house. Since Israel was led out of Egypt by me, I've never had a house. I've always lived in the tent and the tabernacle. I didn't ask you or anyone before you to build me a house. So let me tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to make you secure. I'm going to deliver you from all of your enemies, and I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to firmly plant my people in good soil where they can thrive. And when you're dead... When you're dead, David, I will raise up offspring from you, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son, and I will not take my steadfast love from him like I did from Saul before. And your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me, 
Your throne shall be established forever. So Nathan goes and he says it all to David just like that. David, you think you need to build a house for God. And God says, no, it's not for you to build the house. Instead, God is going to build your house. So God makes this promise to David. And it seems, at least in the short term, that this is about Solomon. Solomon gets filled with wisdom. He has all kinds of wealth and success. He builds a temple for the Lord that leaves the whole world in awe. And then right after Solomon, everything starts falling apart. The northern tribes get conquered, and the kingdom is divided, and ultimately the southern tribes get conquered too, and the temple that Solomon built gets destroyed by the Babylonians as they take, them, as they take the Israelites away into exile. And after the Israelites returned, they they built a second temple, a temple that was also tremendous, but never quite the same. And they never again had a king from David's line. But God had made a promise. And before we move forward with that promise, I think it's important that we stop and think about what's happened here. David has been incredibly blessed by God. He wants to bless God in the way that makes the most sense to him. Nathan says that seems like a fine idea. And God says, no. You aren't going to build my house. I am going to build yours. I saw a a meme on Facebook this week about how someone talking to a camera by himself is not church. And I couldn't agree more. The church is the people, not some online message offered to people. But the implication is that gathering together in a building is more the church than anything else. We even call it God's house, this place that I'm preaching from today. And that's not true either. And if you've wondered what the long-term effects of this COVID shutdown and the precautions that we've had to take will be on the church, you're not the only one, I promise. Your preacher is stressed about that too. But the work of our salvation neither starts nor ends with us. God doesn't need us to make him a home. God is going to make a home for his people. And our God keeps his promises. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, crying out to God, daily praying that he would come and deliver them for 400 years. The United States of America has not existed for 400 years. These 10 months of pandemic might feel like our whole lives. They certainly do to me from time to time. But our plans our expectations, even our dreams might not be God's plans and they might not be God's dreams for us. And he might answer our prayers on our timeline and he might not. He might answer our prayers in the way that we expect and he might not. But you can stake your life on the fact that God will keep his promises God will keep his promises in ways that are deeply consistent with his character. The heir of David, the long-awaited Messiah, 
Jesus the Christ, is born to two parents who aren't at home when he's born, and they can't find any space except with the animals. It's almost like this son who is born, who is God in the flesh, is comfortable traveling about and not having a palace, a house of cedar in which to dwell. So this baby, God in the flesh, is going to be laid in a feed trough because there's no room for him elsewhere. And as an adult, he's going to say, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But he's come anyway, not so that someone else can build him a house, but so that he can make a house for his people, for David. To bring together people of every tribe and nation and tongue, to redeem poor sinners and to save the nations, to reconcile the broken world with the God who spoke it into being. The one who's come to establish his reign in peace forevermore. He makes his home, not in the temple with the high and the mighty, not, not in a palace. His might comes not from armies prepared for battle. He's come not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And when he is enthroned on the cross and crowned with a, veil, with a crown of thorns, the veil of the second temple that house of God with the Holy of Holies in the middle of it, the veil that obscures the Holy of Holies is going to be ripped in half from top to bottom, proclaiming that it was never about the building. It was always about a household. It was always about a people, a people that God will do anything to be in relationship with. This year, the story of Christmas resonates because the whole world has spent a year waiting for deliverance, longing for restoration. And we can trust, because of Christmas, that we serve a God who keeps his promises. Gabriel says he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary's question, how can this be since I don't have a husband, is a reasonable question. And it's probably the easiest question to ask. Because to ask the other question, lingering under the mechanics of how she can have a child, is a much heavier question. Can it really be? Is it actually possible that God has finally kept his promise? After generations and generations and generations of waiting, is it possible that our salvation is probably, possibly, maybe, hopefully coming? How can it be that the Messiah is finally arriving? How can it be that the Savior is finally going to be here? How can this be? Nothing will be impossible with God. And that's when Mary says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. For generations, God's people have prayed and wondered and wandered and only had very small windows of time where it seemed like everything was just as it should be. 
And it's finally coming to be that God will keep his promises. Finally, God has answered their prayers. But it isn't because they built it. It's not because they earned it. It's not because they are strong or wise or anything else. They didn't make it happen. It was God's work all along to build the house, to build the household. And even after all of this, none of it still looked like they expected. Jesus didn't conquer the Romans. The religious leaders that were constantly reading and thinking about what it would look like for God to save them did not recognize when Jesus showed up as God in the flesh and they killed him. None of their prayers were answered as they expected, and yet God kept his promises. Our salvation is near, not in a vaccine, though all indications seem to point to these vaccines being a gift from the Lord, miraculous even, in the amount of time in which they've been made. Not in family, not in political developments or stimulus packages or individual stimulus checks, though all of those things might be well and good. Our salvation is near because God himself is making a house building it out of living stones that have been born into a living hope through our Lord who has been raised from the dead, like he talks about in 1 Peter, with Christ as the foundation and all of the rest of the stones being put into place. Not a house of cedar, but a house of living stones made from you and from me, redeemed of the Lord. David wanted to make God a house, and God said no. I'm going to make you into a house. And when Jesus showed up, he was born in a barn, and he didn't have anywhere to lay his head, and the temple had to be cleansed of the money changers. He didn't come to a house prepared for him. He came to make one and to incorporate you into it, and me and anyone who would believe in him. Salvation is near. Christ is coming. Do not lose heart. Do not grow impatient. Do not despair. Do not give up. Look for the coming of the Lord. God will keep his promises. It might not look like we expect, but our God is faithful, and his love is unending, and our hope in him is not wasted. Let us wait. Let us watch. And let us hope in the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, come. Light up the darkness of our world and save your people. And build us into the house that you have always wanted for your Father. Make us a holy temple for you. We pray this in your holy and precious and powerful name as we trust in you to save us. Amen. Amen.